the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. All right, let's get into it for a uh, Tuesday. We're going to do things just a little bit differently today. Usually it's Wednesday when Congressman Hill joins us. She's going to, uh, or he, not she, he's going to join us. looking here looking at, at Brooke and Edgerton's email to me. Uh, bottom line is he's going to be talking to us about some big things that are happening up on, on uh, the Hill right now. And that deals with, of course, uh, let's start off with the budget, because uh, is it going to be open or is it going to be closed up there in Washington, D.C., Mr. Congressman? Hey, Dave. Good morning. Good to hear your voice. Uh, you had some able substitutes. While well, they you did a good off. job, didn't they? They did. I enjoyed being with them, but it's good to hear your good voice back. Look, this is... Uh, this is a bad situation that we've gotten ourselves into, and it is not in conservatives' interest. This is my opinion, and everybody can debate it. It's not in conservatives' interest to see the government shut down this week. That doesn't cut spending. That doesn't increase employment. That doesn't lower interest rates. That doesn't stop inflation. All it does is empower Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer to bash Republican candidates because— our work is not done, and we should have been doing it the last two months, and it's been delayed, and that is uh, that's a problem. You know, going to a government shutdown never ends up saving money or winning elections. Well, what what is the the real hardcore conservative thoughts on this that are throwing the the you know the wrench in the, into the the monkey wrench, so to speak, and in, into the gears of the machine? Well, here's what I'd say. Look, conservatives want to cut spending, cut Joe Biden's legislative agenda, reduce regulations, and get more people back to work through welfare reform. Well, that's what we negotiated, and that's what we won in the debt ceiling deal, and we should be locking in those wins. Our appropriations bills have better, more conservative policies, the undo Biden-Pelosi policies, the spending levels in each of the appropriations bills is written at less than the debt ceiling deal back in May. So we should pass these across the House floor, but we're blocked by three or four Republicans who are all running for a different office. One guy's running for Senate. One guy's running for governor. Another person's running for attorney general. They're not even going to be in the House. They're right. doing this for publicity purposes. It's ridiculous. And it's not more conservative. If you if you cause the House not to pass our conservative bills, then you're turning the House over to the Democrats and turning the the leverage and the angle over to Schumer. It makes no sense. It's absolutely ridiculous. And it's been going on uh, literally since we got back uh, in September. We only passed one appropriations bills in, in July. We should have passed probably half of them. 
And uh, we've now put them on the floor the last two weeks and been blocked, not by Democrats, but by our fellow Republicans. Okay, so let's let's try to make this easy for everybody to understand, because I, I run into people and I talk to people about this, and they say, well, let's hold them to their feet, really to the fire, and if we got to close down the government, let, let's just, just close down the government. Do they not remember their history? I mean, every time we've closed down the government, we've lost big. I mean, it's cost us as a party. It does. Uh, and there is, uh, you know, the main thing for me is an economic issue as opposed to could we, will it hurt us? It will hurt us because we've got a Republican majority that's composed, Dave, of conservative Republicans that won in California, New York, in Biden voting districts. Oh, my God. So we're dependent on them to promote per conservative policies in the House. And, and so, you know, you're really putting those seats at risk. So there is a political angle. But I also say that we're playing uh, with fire here if we're trying to beat inflation and beat Biden's policies. You had Moody's come out yesterday and essentially threatened to, to downgrade the government's credit rating. The 10-year Treasury rate crossed 4.5% yesterday. The VIX, which measures volatility out in, the, in all the markets, was up 3% yesterday. These guys are jacking around with people's uh, every mom-and-pop kitchen table issue, and the fact that people say shut her down doesn't mean that they know what they're talking about. Let's be candid here. That's not going to produce a better political outcome, and it's not going to lower spending, cut regulations, or force Joe Biden or Chuck Schumer to do anything except right. double down their efforts to promote liberal policies. Yeah, because, you know, the, to be honest, over in the Senate, Schumer's in charge, and uh, things are so thin in the, uh, in the House that you've got to play your cards just a certain way or nothing gets done. What Bill Haggerty, my good friend, uh, who's a senator from Tennessee, he's one of my close friends in the Senate, Republican of Tennessee, known him 45 years. Bill says, get us a four-week, you know, stopgap spending bill that puts H.R. 2, puts the border on there. Point out how incompetent Joe Biden is on the border. Let's get let's cut spending for four weeks and add HR to the border. And here's what Bill says: I'm not looking for sixty Senate votes. I'm not looking for sixty. I'm looking for forty-one people. Forty-one people who say, you know, every state's a border state. Hell, New York, New York's governor called out the National Guard yesterday. That's right. That's right. I mean, uh, so even the Democrats are sick of it. Right. Let's. This is what. This is the Dave Ellsworth number one issue for 15 years: border security. We passed the best border security bill since I've been in Congress with a, with Republican votes. We call it HR two. It ends the catch and release. It ends this border asylum issue. That is what is driving all these people. Six million people in the two years of the Biden administration. Six million, two hundred thirty-two thousand in August. It was twenty-six percent higher than a year ago, and the highest in thirty months. So, 
this is what Haggerty and I are talking about, and we can get help in the Senate, but we've got to get them the right kind of bill, and we're not going to, not the way these guys are talking this week, and so it'll be left in Chuck Schumer's hand. Congressman Hill, this is Ryan with AFP. Good to hear your voice as well, sir. Hey, Ryan. Hey, you know, this is something that actually, we're talking about uh, the uh, the debt ceiling and such. You have, you know, I know AFP's been working on uh, support for the bill uh, S-135 on the Senate side about the Prevent Government Shutdown, Shutdown Acts that sets up continuing re- uh, continuing resolution that will be an automatic kind of thing so we can take yep. away the gamesmanship in all this. Because yep. it used to be just an R and D football to kick together, and now it's become even internal within the parties, um, you know, that they're using as a football to gain leverage for internal party power or influence. And S-135 even has bipartisan support. There's sponsors yep. on there that are Democrats. So I think yep. that, that reasonable people are looking at this for seeing the future on the debt as it's increasing past $33 trillion now and saying this is unsustainable. And once upon a time, Democrats may have said, oh, let's, let's just let it ride. But now you're seeing more of them swing to the fiscally conservative side in some ways with the yeah, budget. I agree. And we, we, we put that in the debt ceiling deal, too, on the House side. And we've, we've got – we support these uh, – uh, essentially, uh, if any, if the appropriation bills are not signed into law, then it moves to an automatic CR at, say, 99% of last year's funding, mm-hmm. and it takes that off the table. I support that kind of policy. I think it's good. Something else that's happened in the last three weeks out of frustration has got both Democrats, amazingly, and Republicans finally talking about, oh, you know, we're just arguing about 30% of the budget. Why don't we argue about mandatory spending? Let's get a Greenspan-type commission Ooh, wow. from right. back in 1983 on uh, the mandatory spending programs and come up with a real program that is bipartisan that has some long-term reforms right. because we can't get our deficits under control if we don't do that. And Biden is forecasting $2 trillion in deficit a year the next 10 years. And, and as Dave and I have talked about, Ryan, and you know this, we have record revenue right now. Right. Record revenue because the Donald Trump tax reforms back in 2016-17 created a much more fair, dynamic uh, <clears throat> tax system. And uh, so we're at 4.2 trillion, I'm guessing, in revenue, mm-hmm. uh, which in the past would have balanced the budget. Right. You know, but now we're running six trillion in spending because of Biden's last two years. It's crazy. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. So, how do you like the new dress code? You're going to go. You're oh going to move. God. You move into a hoodie. You know, uh, seeing that guy around the Capitol is <laughs> is scary. It's like the uh, when you're you're going on when you've called an Uber driver at three in the morning. I mean, it's just not a good thing. And uh, you know, what can I say? It's just another step down in the in the respect we have for the constitution and for our jobs i mean it's just it's just dumbing down the the process when you do that what what's going on you know i know people don't know in society people go no it doesn't yeah i really think it is you know i learned that from customers i learned that from people in my life mentors um you you know you should respect the people you're with and and respect the job you have and respect the responsibility you have why don't we just abolish uniforms then in the military? What difference does it make? Well, yeah, I I, I agree. Dumb. It's dumb. It's dumb. And they did it for one person. I don't get that at all. 
Yeah, and it's not even covered by the ADA, I don't think. I don't know. But anyway. Is is wearing a suit supposed to be tough on him? Can you not tie a tie or something? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. that You could be pushing the envelope there by asking that question. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know me. I ask those questions. That's I do right. that a lot of times. Yeah. I get myself in trouble at times, but that's okay. I don't mind doing that. All right, so you guys have basically sat down as a caucus. You've got uh, the budget all set up. What What's it going to take now to get it over to, to the Senate? Do you have to now vote on everything again and then send it over to them? Is that what is going to happen this the rest of this week, hopefully? Yeah. We've, got, uh, we've got four appropriations bills, state and foreign operations, which is written to a $1.97 billion level below, below 2019 spending levels. We want to do the border security bill, change how we spend money for border security, Joe Biden's biggest uh, albatross, which oh. is his incompetence on the border. It's just an embarrassment. We want to do uh, ag, agriculture, because it's important to take care of our farmer programs. We've reformed uh, the nutrition programs, the so-called uh, food stamps program in that bill. And then defense, which we've tried to bring up on the House floor twice now and had it blocked by uh, Republicans for the rule. When you bring a bill to the floor in the House, you have to go through the Rules Committee, and the rule is voted on first, which tells you how many amendments you can have and what's going to be in order. And we've had Republicans vote against that. And when you do that, Dave, you are voting with Democrats. When you vote against the rule brought by the majority party to bring a majority party resolution to the floor, you are voting with the minority. You're turning the House over to Hakeem Jeffries, and I just think it's a terrible mistake. Yeah, I mean, we got rid of Pelosi, so we wouldn't have to deal with her anymore. Why would we give uh, the power back to the minority party, give them the gavel, so to speak? It makes no sense. You're not locking in conservative wins. We can do this, but we need everybody to not focus on their campaigns next year, running for attorney general, running for governor, running for senator. The people who are objecting here, a bunch of them aren't even going to be in the House next year. They are, they're all doing this for publicity purposes. And they're not locking in <clears throat> good conservative wins and letting us have the strength of the House majority. They're just turning it over to Chuck Schumer. All right. So, Ryan, as far as Americans for Prosperity goes, what are some things that you guys want to see done that this is holding you up from seeing it oh, done. Well, I mean, uh, the congressman is hitting on all the things that we're that we're concerned about as well. We've got it is not going to be in the best interest of the country to uh, you know to close to close the government, and particularly we're just a few months away, actually weeks away from filing for the primary season. First primary four yeah. months away. Yeah, it's coming and really quickly. And so how this gets handled has, of course, principled policy solutions that are being talked about, as Congressman Hill just referenced. But then also you have to take into consideration the political side, because if you want a policy majority in your House and in your Senate in 2024, you can't take a, a sledgehammer to something that may need to be a little more nuanced until the policy majority exists right. and exists in a substantive way to where um, – it's not so thin that marginal actors can influence the process in a, as extremely as they do. You know, it's just really interesting to me how 
again, it used to be the the debt ceiling debate was between the parties and now has become an internal conflict. And I know there are absolutists, but you have to deal with reality constructively. You know, and the reality is you're facing primaries. The American people don't like to see the government shut down. It, um, and so there's, there are ways of getting around that, and I think the congressman's hi- highlighted those. So we're, we're supportive of uh, those kind of initiatives right there. We think it's in the best interest of the country and of the policy champions that exist that really do want to solve this problem long term. You know, they, they're seen beyond just this next election cycle even, and they're looking at what it's going to require to have leadership in the House, in the Senate, and in the executive office of the president to actually – roll back this terrible fiscal policy that we've been under in this out-of-control spending that has us at over $33 trillion in debt nationally and just a deficit that we can't overcome. That's what I think the congressman referenced the numbers, and it's like even when we have abundance, we're only about a third of the way on That's the spending. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so, Congressman, let me just ask this. I've been trying to kind of read the tea leaves going into 2024. Sounds like to me there's a lot of people that are out there right now saying that we're going to get a flip, but it's going to happen in the Senate, and then we're going to get a flip, but it's going to go the other way, and it's going to be for Democrats in the House. Do you see it that way? I do see an opportunity in the Senate. We've got more Democratic senators on defense uh, there. And so the odds are in favor of us in a presidential year taking the Senate back and making uh, Tom Cotton and John Bozeman committee chairman and having a conservative agenda in the Senate, which would be great. But look, our majority here in the House runs through right now California and New York, where we've got Republicans that won in Trump, this, I mean, I'm sorry, in Biden districts. We've got to bring those guys back plus hold all of our existing members of Congress that are in Trump district. So uh, it's tougher. And a government shutdown does not help a Republican like Mike Lawler up in Westchester County, New York, who won as a Republican. He's a great member of Congress. He's in a Biden plus 13 district. He represents Chappaqua. He represents Secretary Clinton. So this is a tough district, but he did great. He has the backing of the uh, Jewish community, the business community, lots of entrepreneurs, and we want to bring him back. He's a majority maker. But if you shut the government down and uh, uh, make him, uh, uh, it puts him in a tough spot in a, in a county like that. Paul, you probably missed this uh, news that happened last night. Uh, that James Comer, who we've had on this show now twice, uh, announced the witnesses for the first hearing on the Biden impeachment inquiry. Now, that's a big move forward for you know, folks as far as this is concerned. They're lining up witnesses now. Uh, Bruce Dubinsky, the founder of Dubinsky Consulting, and he's a forensic consultant. Uh, Elaine O'Connor who formerly served as the Assistant Attorney General in the Department of Justice's Tax Division, and Professor Jonathan Turley of George Washington University Law School, who has offered analysis and insight about the Biden family corruption and impeachment inquiries. Uh, Polling shows that at least a plurality of Americans now support an impeachment 
uh, inquiry, and according to a CNN poll, believed that Biden, as then Vice President Joe Biden, had at least, quote, some involvement, unquote, uh, in his son Hunter Biden's shady business dealings. Uh, from the Oversight Committee, today we are announcing the witnesses for our first hearing on the President Joseph B. Biden Jr. impeachment inquiry. This hearing will establish the basis for the impeachment inquiry and present the evidence House Republicans have uncovered to date regarding President Joe Biden's knowledge of and role in his family's domestic and international business practices. CNN reporter Manu Raju, House Oversight Chairman James Comer, announced witnesses for the first impeachment inquiry hearing in the Biden, which will occur Thursday. It's not like this is a long way in, in, in the future. Yeah. What do you think about this? Well, I mean... Do you think the, the American people really care? Well, I think that, that we should. We definitely should care because you see in poll after poll... The American people across the board, their faith in government and government leaders is at an all-time low. Yep. I had a friend come to me, and he was making comment, you know, derogatory comment about the Supreme Court and said, only like 26% of people have faith in the Supreme Court. And I'm like, well, you know, have you looked at presidential confidence or our Congress confidence? Those are in the single digits. Right. You know. So, you know, it's just unfortunate that uh, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely and when you when you're sitting on the outside as a citizen and you see political leaders who are making x amount of dollars and all of a sudden they become millionaires and you're like how in the world did that happen you know that's not the intention that the founders had you know the founders they put their honor and their treasure and everything they invested into the country and you know, just sacrificed for the country. And now you have scenario where government is a tool by which you ingrandize and create wealth for yourself and power for yourself. And that's not how they originally intended it to be, Dave. You know, they did not. They were a different breed of, of men at that time. And the American people, when we, when we study and we see that kind of founding in our – you know, with our founding fathers, and then we compare it to who we have today as leaders in our government. It just is a stark contrast. Yeah, there's a there's a, a whole lot of difference. Let's just put it that yeah, way. Yeah, a lot, and it's just a good example is what we heard from the congressman just a moment ago. Republicans who are voting against moving forward uh, with the budget and things of that nature. Because they're not even going to be back the right. next time. Now they're just doing things so they can talk about what they're doing and how they're holding the Democrats' feet to the fire. Right. And and so they can put that on a mailer or in an ad, and it may not be in the best interest of the country, but it's in their personal interest. And it sounds like it's based on a principled position, but you've got to, again, deal with reality constructively, and you have to know, you know, the uh, the tactics of uh, you know it's not like retreat we're advancing in the opposite direction <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah kind of scenario but I found this in, find it interesting what uh, 
what uh, Congressman Comer was saying about you know that they're they're looking into did the Bidens create wealth for themselves at the expense of the interest of the country. And that's, that's called bribery. Yeah, I mean, that is a serious, serious thing that we should consider. I mean, if you have, if you're, you're selling out the interest of the country for your own personal interest, that needs to be looked into. That's called treason. It's, we just, we don't handle things like we used to handle things. No. Like. So there's, and then you have the connected and you have you know, two-tiered justice systems. If you or I had a hint of any of this stuff in our personal lives or in our political lives, we'd be we'd already be you know up against a wall with a with a cigarette and a blindfold. Yeah, you know. But when you're connected and you're part of the political entertainment elite, and you ha- they they tend to protect their own, and and you're seeing this also that you know the media will do that because they su- they've suppressed so much about Hunter Biden. I was in an event and. N- in this event, they're talking about doing a contrast of politicians about the way that they uh, treat women. I said, well, what about, you know, Hunter Biden and the president kind of smoothing over his approach, you know, his, the way that he's treated women. He has a do- granddaughter in the state of Arkansas, and they, they're they very involved in politics on the left. And they're like, what are you talking about? And I showed him, like, yeah, you know, here it is. Hunter Biden's got a, grand, you know, got a daughter and a granddaughter that the president's not even acknowledging, even though it's proven that it's you know, his granddaughter. Right. And they didn't know about that because the media doesn't want people to know too much about that. Um, So it's just, again, faith in the key institutions of our society is just crumbling. And the way to solve this um, is greater, greater participation with citizens and not just keyboard war wars and social media, but actually getting out there and talking to citizens, connecting with citizens, finding out what, what you can, which you can agree on, and then starting supporting good candidates. I mean, that actually have the character that you want in the government you want. Because you're gonna, government's going to always be a little less of a version than the people that make it up, right? And so you need high-caliber, good people that have the people's interest in mind above their own interest at times. Is, is that enough now with all of the character assassination that goes on in politics. Well, that's it is worse than it's probably ever been because we've now made it an all or nothing, you know, winner take all kind of game. And so good people are afraid to even get out there cuz even things that may be benign, things that may have been mistakes that are easily understandable and and weren't intentional, can be taken out and misconstrued. Your words can be misconstrued. Nowadays, people are worried about deep fake technology and what it can do. It's really a crazy time. I think there was a, a very wise uh, author of a very popular book that said everything that can be shaken will be shaken. There's n- there isn't a place right now when you ask people, where do you have your confidence? Who, who has your confidence or what institution has your confidence? No one has an answer for that it's not not the government it's not the fbi it's not you know your your community organizations anymore and then for some it's not even the church anymore dave i know you know so it's very fascinating the times that we're in but um i I don't want to sound too like defeatist i think that there's a way that that 
we can unite again as a people and as a country looking out for each other. You know, if we follow, I think that it does have a political co- a connotation or interpretation, or not maybe interpretation, but uh, ap- you can apply it to politics. If you love your neighbor as yourself and you say, Dave, look, you and I may not agree on some things, but what do you need in life and what do I need in mm-hmm. life and how can we come to an arrangement in which we both get what we need in life from each other without taking from each other. And there are those scenarios. There are win-win scenarios. But I think those happen at the citizen level. Citizens then rep- find representatives who will, who will emulate their uh, values to the government. And then if we get enough of those, we can make the change. It's a, and a lot of people would think that that's an idealistic way of approaching it. But we can get into a whole other conversation that probably delves more theologically and not necessarily my role at AFP. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as a, as a personal believer, uh, you've got to have you – can't, you can't be happy until you first learn to be good. I heard from Larry Arn from Hillsdale College one time, and that really resonated with me. We need to hold ourselves to higher standards and our conduct as citizens and therefore be able to hold our, our leaders to higher standards and not accept this, uh, this you know, uh, approach that, that we're just all unsatisfied with. I agree with you. You know? Yeah, like I've said, I believe that uh, it's going to be the believers that are going to make the biggest difference I, I agree. in all of this. All right, because here, here's the key. Principle is first. You've got to know what the other person's principles are. What will they stand firm for? Yes. You've got to know that because you can't de- devise policy until you know what the other person's principles are. Right, right. And, and then those principles allow you to have conversations about, you know, what are, what are the trade-offs? Because there are no real solutions. There's trade-offs. And so if the trade-off is, okay, to, to make sure that we have the policy majority, going back to our previous conversation with Congressman Hill, if we're going to have a policy majority that can actually move the ball forward in, in creating a solvent country, in, in passing budget legislation that's going to cut cost and roll back our deficit and allow us to roll back our debt. But the hit that I have to take is I can't grandstand on something that I know is going to be a Pyrrhic victory mm-hmm. just so that I can have my, so I can win my other seat that I'm trying to go for. That's, that's the trade-off that I would, that I would be willing to make is that, okay, look for the good of, of the public good and the saving of the country. I'll forego the mailer and just say, I'm making the right decision. now. I'll put myself behind uh, my country. Yeah, and that's the issue. Is I love. I've said this before, Dave. I love my country. I love my party. I have a hard time with those that believe they transcend both mm. and are more important than both. And I think we we're talking about that when people are making deals for personal gain, like they're accusing Hunter Biden of potentially doing, and maybe the president of the United States. Again. That's all got to get sorted out. I'm not sure one way or another, personally. We you know, haven't heard we it We haven't all heard yet. it all yet. That, that if they're willing to do that at the expense of the country, that's not the people we need. We don't need to support that kind of individual. Go back and look at, you know, I believe it was John Hancock. Everybody knows him from his flowery signature. I believe it was Hancock who had shipping interests in Boston. And when Boston was being burned by the Redcoats, he was 
it said that he said, burn Boston, burn Boston, though it makes me a beggar, it's for the cause of liberty. Mm-hmm. You know, no, that's what we have to get back to. Sa- sacrifice above just our personal interests. Um, you know, I think that's part of the solution. I mean, and, and you know, there's another great, same great book talks about sacrifices produce greater results in the future than we get in the current current state. You know, there, you have to pick your sacrifices. And we need leaders who will sacrifice their interests for the interests of the good of the people. All right. So one of the other big issues that are going on in our country right now is how many illegals are coming into our country right now. It was reported yesterday that 300,000 illegals came into the the country in, uh, of course, uh, the... uh, off the border in one month in one month that's the highest that we've ever seen happen uh, here in our country and it's not good but uh, the uh, border patrol chief says the cartels are taking advantage of the border crisis to smuggle drugs weapons uh, etc into the country Uh, This is a story from the Washington Examiner. They said the head of the U.S. Border Patrol is frustrated that his federal law enforcement agents have been pulled from their posts guarding against drugs like fentanyl and dangerous criminals to process the tens of thousands of immigrants who poured across the border last week. Border Patrol Chief Jason Owens uh, said it is not the job of the 19,000 Border Patrol agents nationwide. You know, I've I've had my buddy come on and talk about this a lot, who was part of ICE during the day, and and how many uh, people were working for the Border Patrol then. uh, And and now, when when you're looking at 300,000 illegals in the month of August alone, and you only have 19,000 Border Patrol agents nationwide to intake the immigrants who cross the border illegally that's a no-win situation i think everybody can readily uh, see that the mexican cartels have not only taken advantage of border patrol being distracted but instigated the distraction in the first place Uh, pulling agents from the field leaves vast open spaces for cartels to move criminals bulk cash, weapons, and drugs across the border undetected. And that's what's happening now. Uh, We've all heard the stories that there's enough fentanyl that's been imported into our country illegally to kill every person in our country four times. Wow. I mean, it's an incredible uh, statement. Uh, This week... A new influx of immigrants arrived at the U.S. border. Matt Rivers has uh, had the latest on that spike and reported that uh, Owen said that Border Patrol does not have the legal authority to simply push back those illegally trying to enter the U.S. and instead can only enforce the laws that are on the books. Also, Over 750,000 Venezuelans are being allowed into our country. 
and uh, aren't being given a court date or anything uh, work permits. That, they, that they have to show up. Yeah, they're just given work permits to come on into their to our country. It's out of hand. It's got to stop. And if it doesn't stop, we're not going to have a country. It's that simple. I mean, that's why you have countries so you can have borders so you can control who you allow mm-hmm. into your country. It's like. If you got a mortgage on a house, you get to tell people who can come in and who can't come in. Well, if you look at it too, they're saying that the uh, the cartels are are the fifth largest employer in Mexico. I mean, that's something that definitely needs to be looked at. Well, that's I I would like to. I would personally wish I was president just so that I could whittle the size of that employment down. The big story. There's several big stories out there. I mean. It's a target-rich environment, let's say that for <laughs> talk radio so. right now. Uh, Monday night, uh, last night, House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer announced the witnesses for the first hearing on the Biden uh, impeachment inquiry, which will be on Thursday. Let's see how many of the news channels carry those hearings in their entirety. Right, live. Let's, let's, see, let's see who does that. Instead of monitoring. I can tell you probably Fox will do it. Uh, the witnesses include Bruce Dubinsky, who's the founder of Dubinsky Consulting and a forensic accountant. Elaine O'Connor, you probably have heard of her, who formerly served as the Assistant Attorney General in the Department of Justice's Tax Division. And then the last person you should for sure have heard about, and that's Jonathan Turley, uh, from uh, George Washington University Law School, who has offered analysis and insight about the Biden family corruption and impeachment inquiries. Polling shows uh, right now that at least a plurality of Americans support an impeachment inquiry. And according to a CNN poll, they uh, believe that Biden, as then Vice President Joe Biden, had at least, quote, some involvement in his son Hunter's Biden's shady business dealings. So we've got all we've got that sitting. That's that's Thursday. I mean I I got things that I'm looking at that I'm gonna be talking about this week that are definitely gonna keep going until next week without any without any problem, this being one of them. Uh and uh, I'll have as much of the material as I can that I can I can play for you. Uh Let's uh, let's try to make sure that we we get the big stuff uh, from the internet if we can, Aaron. Uh, especially Jonathan Turley, if we can get his whole presentation, it would be good for us to play that here on the show and uh, and make that happen. Uh, but but you got that sitting there. You've got uh, the debate that's happening Wednesday night. You. Uh, want to watch it you can come watch it over at u.s pizza that's right uh right over in the heights is that right yep uh 2710 kavanaugh uh 7 30 p.m uh the republican presidential debate watch party we're gonna have pizza salad drinks um, it was was great the last time yeah that's what i was gonna say it was a great group of people we had a good time yeah come on out let you know so this go around we have ron DeSantis, tim scott nikki haley vivek ramaswamy Chris Christie, Doug Burgum, Mike Pence. So uh, Asa we, didn't make Asa it. Asa didn't make it. Um, he's. I understand he's going to be doing a press conference around the same time. So 
Mm. Hopefully that doesn't detract too much from uh, the debate. You know, I don't want to suck away too well, much. Well, Trump the should be doing something with the auto workers. I I do believe that day too. Well, um, yeah. So it. But it was a great party last time. We had a lot of great conversations and a lot more agreement than disagreement. Yeah, I, I think it was, it was really interesting. Now I wasn't at the one in Little Rock. We had similar at Northwest Arkansas. This time I'm going to be here. Uh, and because um, I heard it was such a good time, mm-hmm. you know, we had a good time up there. But I uh, like to hang out here with my my locals. locals. Uh, but yeah, anyone is uh, invited to come. You, if you'd like to RSVP, you can go to our website, uh, believeinar.com, and reach out to me through the contact function or directly email me at infoar@afphq.org. Uh, and or, I'll be taking roll call. Yeah. If you were there last time and you're not there this time, <laughs> I'll be asking why. Yeah. If my car makes it, I'll be there. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it'll it'll be a good time, and um, I'm interested to see. You know, last time, interesting questions, really. I not just think a lot there, of substance. I was really underwhelmed by the substance. I mean, come on. We're talking about the leaders of the free world. Everybody's anxious about the economy, inflation, et cetera, and they spend time on a question about aliens. Right. You know, and, and not even the border. <laughs> you know, it's not the border. It's, it's the it's literal extraterrestrials. And I was just like, why waste that? We're we're in such a serious moment. This is such a serious issue. I understand they're trying to maybe create you know, personality, kind of highlight people's personalities in a positive, endearing way. But that just was a waste because they spent so much time on things that I thought were not relevant or as relevant as, as the big issues. How are we going to feed our families? You know, inflation sucking up our our grocery bills. You know, you can't even go out to eat now with, you know, every time I go out to eat with a family of three, we're near $100. Yeah, it's expensive. And it's expensive. And then gasoline prices going back up. They're expensive. You know, and that. Except in Mississippi. I can attest to that. It was a little lower. <laughs> They're a little closer to yeah, some like, refineries. Uh, the, I saw the lowest I saw was 298 Oh, yeah. So well, we're doing better than a lot of states. Yeah. Oh, mean, yeah. Definitely doing better than a lot of states. Yeah, and then also, you know, health care. Um, that, that is always something that people bring up when we're going through our list at the doors as we're knocking doors with, at AFP. And inflation, health care, energy, those are top three. The border is the top four, you know, what in, at least in the top four, sometimes in the top three with them. We've got to figure out. Our, our country is kind of in a, a bit of a shambles at the moment, if you haven't caught on, and we need a serious-minded uh, executive leader, and also we've got to have the policy champions in the House and in the Senate that can put together legislation that's going to help us you know, roll Follow back through. these bad Bidenomics policies. All right, so you just mentioned that ASA will not be there yep. Wednesday night. I have a, uh, a press release that the uh, former governor released. He said, despite falling short of the RNC's polling requirement for inclusion in the second presidential primary debate, I will continue our campaign to bring out the best of America with events scheduled in Iowa, New Hampshire, and across the country in the next several weeks. I understand that the RNC and the media are trying to reduce the number of candidates, but I measure success based on the response I receive in early primary states like Iowa, 
and New Hampshire, my goal is to increase my polling numbers to 4% in an early state before Thanksgiving. If that goal is met, then I remain competitive and in contention for either caucus day or primary day. I entered this race because it is critically important for a leader within the Republican Party to stand up to Donald Trump and call him out in misleading his supporters and the American people. I intend to continue doing that and look forward to holding a press conference in Detroit on Wednesday where I will highlight (laughs) his false promises to blue-collar and union workers in Michigan and across America, uh, courtesy of Governor Asa Hutchinson, a Republican uh, candidate for president. So well, it's a news release. He definitely didn't have any breakout moments at the debate. Nobody did. There was no, and, and not to mention you talk about uh, non-likability or non-personality. There was not a lot of personality on display there with him. And I mean... Some people brought out, I mean, I think that's basically what you might have got from that was was a, an idea of what their personalities are. Like Vivek was very aggressive. Um, Wrong, he, but aggressive. Right. He said aggressive things <laughs> and he almost was using it as a platform to basically, and it, it seemed like they were all trying to um, have their moments of what of what they wanted to, but it wasn't substance. It was basically... Here I am, and a blurt of talking points coming out. Was it's, basically it's all going to be happened. interesting to see what happens Wednesday night because, again, we're only four months away from the first primary votes. I don't, uh, you know, when that when that begins, and it starts in February. Well, that's Christy, how close we are. Christy said that if he doesn't do well in New Hampshire, he's out. But. I mean, it seems to me, and from what I hear talking to people, and I talk to people outside of our little chamber of ideas, that um, if if you're going just on an anti-Trump, you know, rant, that's not going to get the rest of the country, because we need more than that, and it's definitely not going to get Trump's base, which is rock solid. So you need to have ideas that are um, America first, because but you need to also extend those ideas and show the rest of the country how that can make life better for them. Well, let me ask you, because you're part of that rock-solid Trump base. I'm not. I know. I like Trump, but I'll pick somebody else if I think that his principles are not aligning with my principles. And uh, it's going to be interesting to say, can, can Trump do anything? That would cause you not to vote for him. Start World War Three, or well, try that's kind of hard to do. He's not president, <laughs> right? Um, I'm trying to think there of, of anything that he might do because to me it's not about Trump. It's about this moment in time. But what about what about his policies? Is there anything he can say uh, as far as his policies go uh, that does not align with? with what you're thinking about where the country should be going? No, because his policies are drilling, making us energy independent, cutting out regulations. I'm sure he's going to take a jackhammer to all the alphabet agencies, which needs to happen. I 
I think our country has been crumbling for a while. And people have just, I mean, Trump's the, one of the people that got people actually involved in politics. Whether you hated him or you liked him, you started learning about civics. And you started learning about how the country ran. And this distrust of government and everything, when we, it wasn't really Trump. It was just opening the doors and seeing how much, like Patriot Act and different things like that, how much less power we as people have. And how disconnected we are from those people in Washington. And the and, and just like and it goes along with the other stuff. I mean, nobody can buy him. So that's one thing I like about him. He is not going to be bought by anybody. So I may and I don't agree with every single thing he does. I mean, or every the way he says everything. You know, I think I, sometimes I'm like, oh, you could have said that in a different way. But. The, his basic policies are nationalism, you know, America first. And he's not, he's not like averse to reaching out to other countries, but he wants to put the American workers and the, you know, middle class and the pe- he wants to have people have families again, supporting families, different things like that. Well, I think, I think that that, you know, that that is what is said. But when you also have him say things like, I'm going to put a 10% tariff on imported goods that sounds good on its face but that means that your inflation dollar goes up and right. if that's truly so all the, the all of the things that we take for granted most of what we're wearing right now most of what we're driving right now that comes from other countries uh that's a 10 percent increase that he's proposing a 10 percent increase of your taxation because china doesn't pay that the other countries don't pay right. that the consumer pays that is that a sacrifice and a trade-off that you're willing to make for for what you what you know, and do you believe? I guess you have to be, truly believe he's going to do what he says he's going to do to the alphabets, et cetera, et cetera. Is that a trade-off that you're willing to make to in, to decrease your quality of life by ten percent? I don't know that we can, you know, at, right away. It's just like uh, putting a mandate for electric vehicles when we're yeah. not ready for anything like that. Oh yeah. You know, maybe like I don't know that ten percent is the right thing. We do need to encourage Americans to buy American, but we need to yeah. make it more affordable. So yeah. there has to be a plan to make American-made well, products more affordable and things made in America. And so, so did I don't know anything about it, but you're referencing that uh, President Trump would be with the United Auto Workers during the debate. I think I think that he's probably with with actually uh, trying to get the mandates lifted for EVs. But yeah, he was. I do believe he's having a uh, an event. And so the, the unions are asking for 40% increases in their wages. And do you think, again, that's going to come from the just the, the profits of the company? It's going to be passed on to the consumer. So, again, are we willing to take the trade-off for political expediency? Are we willing to take the trade-off of, of say, making promises to the unions to support what they're asking for to make it more difficult to buy a vehicle for an American citizen? So what I'm interested in would be him approaching or or taking away that mandate for evs so that people had choice and because and then it gives the workers more power because the more evs we have the less people we need to manufacture them so he needs to have because they uh, they've actually said the workforce for creating evs is less than the workforce needed for gas run cars so people are going to lose jobs if you have those mandates and people aren't going to have the, you know, people aren't going to be able to afford them. 
So I think there needs to be that lifted and that and i don't believe in four-day work weeks you mm. know you know i with a pay increase like that so there needs to be some negotiate realistic negotiations made and i think part of that is lifting that ev mandate mm-hmm. all right we can take a break that. we'll talk we'll come back to your points here uh when we return it's the dave ellswick show uh we got a lot to talk about i want to talk about which political party is showing more and more that they don't believe in the First Amendment. We'll yeah. talk about that in just a few moments. And uh, we can go back and talk about tariffs and whatever else you guys want to bring up as we go along in this uh, uh, second hour. Third hour, uh, we're going to be hearing from Jason Rapert. He'll be in the studio today, National Association of Christian Lawmakers. He'll join us here on the Dave Ellswick Show and, uh, you know, He's got some problems with uh, former President Trump as well, and we'll talk to him about that. If you've uh, wanted to find out a way of saving some money on your health premiums, let me uh, suggest that you get a hold of Pat Davis and his uh, health plan team and let them save you 30 to 50 percent on your health premiums to uh, get your co-pays gotten rid of and cut back on your deductibles. You get those three things done you're going to save somewhere close probably 60-65% of what you're paying right now. Uh, I'm on Medicare uh, because I wanted to get my Social Security. You've got to be on Medicare to do that. And I just found out yesterday that I have made my way through the donut hole. <laughs> I've spent over $6,000 this year uh, on drugs. And so because I've done that, uh, now I can go back to Medicare and uh, my uh, insurance agency that takes care of drugs and I can I can get uh, some money savings on drugs but uh, you know it's time for us to take control of our health care decisions and costs I'm hoping that Pat is going to be able to do more uh, with people like myself with uh, you know uh, Medicare because I'd really like to see that that happen how about getting paid to go to the doctor instead of having a copay to see the doctor? That can happen with Pat as well. What you need to do is to text him or to call him at 1-501-605-6935. And then you can text him and just ask him and say, hey, man, uh, what can you do for me? Here's what I've got. Uh, how much money can you save me? And basically, I think I can very easily say he'll save you uh, thousands of dollars in the course of a year or you can visit him online at yourhealthplanman.com and remember about the folks that work for pat they're going to treat you better than those other insurance agencies uh, that are out there like uh, bc uh, bc all right just so that you'll know anyway a break and more coming your way here on the dave ellswick show uh, Democrats and, and uh, progressives and the leftists are trending against free speech. And I was uh, relaying to you, as I've relayed to you before, that when I started in eighth grade, I started working with uh, Berkeley because that's where the free speech movement really got its, its, uh, its start. And uh, I was fighting against Republicans during that time or conservatives during that time. And now I'm still fighting the same battle 
except that I'm fighting with Republicans right. who have changed their whole thought process, basically, about freedom of speech, mm-hmm. and uh, fighting against the Democrats and Black Lives Matter and, and Antifa and others who say things like hate speech and things of that nature and are saying that you, you can't have free speech. Uh, traditionally, opposing censorship was a bedrock principle of liberalism, uh, the American Civil Liberties Union was founded in 1920 to uh, do what? Well, it was promote, to promote and defend free expression. And this ideal was at the heart of uh, liberal thought, liberal lawmaking, and liberal jurisprudence during most of the 20th century. But cha- uh, times have changed now. Uh, according to PJ Media, a new poll from uh, Real Clear Politics highlights a dangerous anti-freedom trend in America. As 50% of Republicans and about 75% of Democrats reportedly approve of the government violating the Constitution and targeting, quote, hateful, unquote, online content. So 74% of Republicans, 61% of independents, and 53% of Democrats agree that speech should be legal, quote, under any circumstances. Conversely, almost half, 47% of Democrats, only want speech to be legal under certain circumstances. Wow. That's really scary. Yeah, President, co-founder of Real Clear Politics, Tom Beaven, I'm sure you've heard of his name before, Forty-seven percent of Democrats say free speech should be legal, quote, only under certain circumstances. Thirty-four percent of Democrats say Americans have too much freedom. Wow. A third of Democrats think you have too much freedom. Seventy-five percent of Democrats say government has a responsibility to censor, censor hateful social media posts. Only 31% strongly agree with this statement. Quote, I disapprove of what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. My father taught me. Only 31%. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, it's it's dangerous to this country. Because, you know, we're founded on this idea that we, if we're going to not go into physical violence then we have to have robust, diverse, and respectful dialogue. dialogue. Yeah. We ha- that's what we have to do. you know. And we're, we're teetering on that precipice, it looks like, with a generation that doesn't value speech. I told you that. Haven't I yeah. said that several times to you? But, but, Dave, I was looking this up. I don't know if anyone knows much about the organization. It's called FIRE. F-I-R-E. Oh, yeah. We've okay. had them on my show. So FIRE had released in the summer their overall rankings for free speech and the worst offender for free speech having the worst free speech climate among 248 universities and colleges across the nation berkeley harvard harvard yeah harvard they've had four sanctions that they've done against scholars over speech they've had uh, two disinvitations that they've uh, had for speakers because of speech but it the class members are saying things like, I just avoid controversial takes on anything 
because I'm afraid of the backlash. Um, and then that they're even being told that if you're going to be in my class, you have to address me as, you know, in this way or address yourself in this way. And they're like, it's just compelled speech. I'm not, I'm not, uh, not abiding by that. But uh, Arkansas, for it was also ranked in here, the University of Arkansas and Arkansas State University. So the University of Arkansas was, a, was at uh, ranked 101. Okay, so right in the middle. Right in the middle, right? kind of right in the middle. Um, you know, people uh, were saying, I feel uncomfortable speaking out to a professor because they're opinionated and think they're always right. You know, but who didn't have that professor? Yeah. You know, I, yeah. had that, I must have the same one um, in a different college. Uh, many people do not share my views, no matter the class I say to myself um, about these certain subjects. They just feel like they're under, underwhelmed. Arkansas State University is actually ranked number 35. Well, that's what I nation. would expect. Remember, it was... Arkansas State University that caused me to go to Dan Sullivan and asked that we enact a freedom of campus, mm-hmm. freedom of speech campus uh, ruling here in the state because they had thrown off uh, Charlie Kirk's group. Right. Well, Turning point. Well, the Arkansas back in 2019 passed the Forum Act, and that was about free speech on campus and, and actually uh, – protecting it uh, not allowing for free you know for free speech zones and things like that um, I think that ASU may have been somewhat of uh, a originating point for some of the ideas that came out of that uh, but it's actually a very strong piece of legislation the Forum Act is that protects our colleges and universities speech uh, here for our students and also for faculty members Um, I'll just tell you that the reason that the state legislature addressed freedom of speech on college campuses was directly because of ASU. Yeah, well, it had 141 respondents to their survey. That's pretty good for the university, so probably pretty good representation. they actually said something. Well, and the thing we need to realize is this just didn't all of a sudden happen. Like what we consider the word liberal, you, you know, a lot of people can can relate to, okay, liberal, and they think of like, I don't want the government to bother me. I, I want to have be able to do what I want to do. And that, you know, and have freedom of speech. And it used to mean freedom of speech. But the thing is, is the people who are calling themselves liberals now, a lot of them have grown, and, and it's been a movement over time and it's come to this precipice that they have groomed people into believe through coercion of canceling them or grading or popularity and a lot of other things that younger people go through like wanting to be accepted and different things like that they've been groomed to this point to where they they don't feel then you know like that they're strong enough as a person to be able to speak out and and offend these people this has been going on for a long time and it's now coming to head a lot of things have been going on for a long time and we're now seeing like the results of what we haven't been paying attention to and so there needs to be i mean more like afp more engagement you know from citizens you know locally so that people realize that yeah there are other people that believe like you do and you're not alone and this is the this is america you know, that's the main principle that we need to get back to is our Constitution and protecting it, because this is the only place on the planet that 
that we have these freedoms. Right. And, and it's we're in dire situation. I will say, used to have. Right. We have the illusion, freedoms. the illusion of these freedoms, and we're in a dire situation. If we have a whole generation, at least, at least, mm-hmm. that is frightened of non-acceptance or you know not getting a good grade or different things like that, then we've got we need to get into. Um, basically what the Democrats do, they, they take little tiny bits of wins, little wins and little wins where they inch towards what they want, and that's what they've been doing. Mm-hmm. And we as conservatives stand on principle, but we don't take the approach that Democrats do. We don't take the little win, little win, little win, and keep guiding it. A lot of times we cut our own foot off because, <laughs> you know, by you should stand on your principles, but you need to realize that you also need to have that power or gain that seat so that you can even move your agenda forward. And a lot of times, you know, if you're grandstanding for simply like you want to you want some other other political power, you're not working towards the greater good. You have to work towards the greater good or it's, we're not going to be able to enforce this. We just said the exact same thing in yeah. the last hour. Yeah, yeah I was in the I last hour. To it. I guess yeah, I just repeated what you said. Well, that's okay. No, it applies to this too, definitely. We want we want to repeat these kinds of things. We want people to start understanding it. I I I guess I need to go back and read uh, some books that Saul have been Linsky. have been written since the '60s, the late '60s, to see where the Democrats through the switch they got them on the wrong track rules for radicals and what did <laughs> well that was written even before 68 yeah but i mean they used that but i said uh, throwing the, the switch to get the republicans on the other say, side of the track yeah yeah and there, there's been a complete 180 mm-hmm. from the two parties well it what happens is is that it goes back again to principles we have to understand how valuable freedom of speech to say speech even speech that people don't agree with, don't like, or may even be untrue. We have to be, we need to cultivate a a mind in our students and in our members of our society that are critical thinkers so that they can balance it out. Because if you can't make a decision, there's somebody in government who will make that for you. Right, it's going to happen to well, you. Well, like I always said, you can get involved in politics or politics can get involved with you. Right. 100%. You'd much rather be you getting involved in it than them getting involved in your life. Because it may sound good, you know, I want to say, I can't remember who to attribute to, but he talks about how democracies die of exhaustion because people just get so tired of making their own decisions that they elect one strong man to run it all. Right. And we can't allow that to happen. We have to we have to skill up as citizens, participate in the processes, uh, learn to think critically, learn to make decisions based on principle and not just off of you know personality or off of off of you know even partisan right DR. you know because partisan we we're just talking about that not everybody with a with an R is an R and not right. everybody with a D is a D necessarily and. And we have internal conflicts. I yeah. mean, you know, the thing is, is that unfortunately we air them because we are such independent thinkers. We air them, whereas a lot of Democrats will fall in line and argue behind the scenes. And and right now, you know, there is a bit of a there are some internal struggles and a lot of new members have come in, which I think that's awesome. But I don't want them to get discouraged because of the fact that maybe things aren't happening at a rate of speed that they would like it to because a lot of people are coming in and they're 
wanting to see change and they want action and they want this, but we still have to fight through the barriers of the machine. Right. You know, and you have to have numbers to be able to control the machine. <laughs> and and you have to have strategy. And that's that's a big thing the Democrats have over us is our messaging is only part of the strategy. Our actions and holding holding politicians accountable, which I know a few groups do. You know, letting us all know we need to know what's going on and what they're doing to us, you know, because we are so separated from the government. Like it's one entity and then we're the other entity. Yeah. Rather than this is our yeah, government. You, yeah. You don't feel you don't feel a part of it. Right. I mean, and in fact, sometimes even the structure of our buildings, they don't feel welcoming and engaging. You walk in and it's kind of like stark, stark and and. um Otherizing, maybe a term. I don't know. It just there's a it's a dimension removed. Soviet block. Yeah, dimension removed. Special guest in the studio. Been a supporter of this guy for many many years. Uh, saw him uh, elected uh, state senator. Saw him do a lot of good things as a state senator. Uh, and uh, Jason Raper joins us today. In fact. Over against the wall over there, there's an old Jason Raper uh, sign over there. Just just peeking out, you know, that's kind of a great metaphor or an analogy for where I'm at, right? I'm I'm still right. I'm still there. You're still there. You're still working behind the curtain. Staying steady, though. That's good. So, are are you like the wizard? I I wouldn't claim that. There's no. There's no way. But uh, let's just call it dedicated and persevering, right? Yeah. And that's the thing. So. But I, I didn't mean to jump in. But I no, no, that's I, all right because I remember mm-hmm. when you, uh, you, it was time for you to go, and you left, mm-hmm. and uh, there was a lot of people who hated your guts, <laughs> and uh, well, there's a lot of people who hate my guts. That's yeah. okay. I don't mind. Hey, I'm there you, too. You, you have your choice. <laughs> you, you know, you have your choice of how you, who you want to hate and how 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 hard you want to 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 hate them. And uh, there's a lot of you that do not like Jason Rapert, but here's the key. You thought you'd be done with him when he left uh, the, the state legislature. And I think he has more impact now than he did when he was a yeah. state legislator. Yeah. Well, uh, that's that's true. Number one, before I say anything else, thank you for everything. You know, I've said it before, and I believe in giving roses to people while they can enjoy them. And, Dave, you have, you have been a voice. Um, I was listening to you before I ever ran for political office here and I am no I have no question there's no question in my mind that what you did was helping me as I grew into the point where I finally said you know what I'm going to run for I got to do something I got to do something yep. and so you've been a great conservative voice I hope that you stay around here for as long as you endeavor and you want to because you're consistent you know I was thinking today as I was coming in I was listening to the show and the interaction and it's great and you know it was 12 years ago when I first got elected into the Arkansas right. State Senate, I was the first Republican since the Civil War to win Senate District 18. It was sev- part or all of seven counties. It's the size of a congressional district. And I remember when I ran, nobody thought any of us would win. Mm-mm. And I sat down with Doyle Webb at, at the uh, Arkansas GOP, and I said, Doyle, where is there a district that has no Republican running for it that we can go win new ground? And he said, well, there's the Senate district over here, which had Senator Bob Johnson. He was leaving. He was Democrat in the Senate. And uh, and, and I I ran against there was a sitting House member, a Democrat, that was running for that. 
And so we got out there, and uh, I used the Arkansas State instrument, the fiddle, and we traveled, and we played that fiddle all over. And I would be playing a fiddle at a squirrel fry in Pelser, Arkansas, and then I'd have my suit on meeting with former Fortune 500 CEOs in Hot Springs Village and Fairfield Bay, which was all part of that district. Right. And uh, God blessed us with an opportunity to serve, and we came and won four elections. Uh, and I felt it was time for me to move. And uh, we felt real good about winning the primary for the lieutenant governor. And obviously, Leslie Rutledge had an about face and told me she did not want to be lieutenant governor. And, mm-hmm. of course, Sarah Huckabee changed that situation yeah. oh, for yeah. her. And so she said at the last minute, she said, I've, I've got to drop into this race. And, of course, she had huge name ID. And in politics, I don't care who you are. Mm-hmm. You can be the greatest man or the greatest woman alive. And if you don't have that name ID coming up against somebody else, it has an effect. And so, uh, but since then, Dave, just to finish that thought for you, I I had a thought the other day. I could have literally, now this is just um, hypothetical speaking, but it gives the point. I could be governor of Arkansas. Mm -hmm. And we could have near heaven on earth in Arkansas, but it's only 1% of the American population. That's right. Okay. And so... I believe God has had me where I need to be right now. I'm still uh, president of the National Association of Christian Lawmakers. I founded that group. It launched in August of 20. We've had five national meetings since it launched. We have members and supporters in all 50 states. We have 33 states where a state representative or a state senator chairs in that state. It has seven standing committees, one of which is a life committee. We're going to talk about that issue in a minute. Yes, we are. One is also the America-Israel Committee. I'm leading 38 legislators, or not, not all legislators, some of their spouses, excuse me. 38 people we're leading to Israel Good. at the end of October. We're going to meet with members of the Knesset. We have opportunity to meet with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. And it is the strongest pro-Israel paralegislative group outside of ALEC, NCSL. There's none of them that declare an America-Israel subcommittee, a standing committee. And they've passed 15 model bills, which one was the heartbeat bill, was their original in Texas. Uh, We passed a Life at Conception Act this year at Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia, at our latest policy conference. We have passed legislation to say you're going to put kids are going to use bathrooms based upon their sex on a birth certificate. We've taken we've taken a rod to the to the craziness in the schools. And so we have people all over the country. And so for me right now, knowing that we've got State Senator Shannon Grove in California, Okay, Here we go. we're, fight, we're fighting in some of those big areas. That's what I mean by strategy. We have to have a strategy. We start local, but we need to increase our, our people that and our thoughts, and we need to put it out to the rest of the country, you know, in ways that they can accept it and discern, uh, you know, their, their ideas from it so that we, we may be the reddest state. But we need to be able to import these ideas in a way that they can take them in. So I guess to put a bow on that, so to speak, before we get into some of the other things, is the NACL, the whole concept, and I encourage people to go to ChristianLawmakers.com. What I brought you there is a little piece from that last meeting to give you an idea. But we've got 32 uh, members on our National Advisory Board. They include people like Mike Huckabee, who's one of the first, uh, Tony Perkins, Family Research Council, uh, former Congressman Bob McEwen out of Ohio that runs Council for National Policy. And we've got other voices. We've got Kristen Hawkins, who's the president of Students for Life, one of the strongest pro-life groups out there. 
Father Frank Pavone, priest for life, oh, yeah. that's out there. Uh, we have Billy Brim, who is a Bible teacher out of Missouri. He has Prayer Mountain up there. Andrew Womack. I'm going to be at Andrew Womack's next week for his. And that's where my show comes. You know, my show, Save the Nation with Jason Rapert, airs right here out of this station. It yes, airs on it Faith Talk at 5 o'clock in the afternoons. But we're on every day on the Save the Na- Jason Rapert Save the Nation page on, on live streaming. But Andrew Womack's Gospel Truth TV, Dave, carries it every single day on his programming. And so we're reaching a lot of people. And here was the bottom line. There had never been a National Association of Christian Lawmakers in the history of the country. I didn't know that when we got started. Tim Barton of Wall Builders, Tim and David Barton, he actually talked about that when we launched the meeting in August of 2020. But what's really interesting, when people say, well, should you even have a National Association of Christian Lawmakers? Well, isn't that crazy? It, it is. And, and here's the deal. Many of our founding fathers were very dedicated Christians. Not every single one. It's just like today. And so, but most of them were. And so when we launched the NACL, uh, Tim Barton brought a, a letter or referred to the letter from Alexander Hamilton one of the real founding fathers, friend of George Washington. And he said in that letter, he's addressing some things, and then suddenly he's addressing James Baird, and he says we need to form a Christian constitutional society for two reasons, to protect the U.S. Constitution and also to further the Christian religion in America. Well, unfortunately, he had his duel with Aaron Burr, Mm -hmm. and Aaron Burr killed him, Mm -hmm. and there went the, the idea. And so, to your point, what we're doing here now, we're uniting local, state, and federal lawmakers together. Uh, some Arkansas voices, to give people a reflection of that, Representative Mary Bentley. Who uh, I am instrumental in making sure she ran for office. That's right. She's our, she is now serving as the chair of the National Legislative Council. Good of that for group. her. Senator Kim Hammer is now the state chair. Gosh, that name's familiar here yeah. at this station. Well, yes, it is. Yeah, and then Representative McGraw uh, is actually the, uh, the, the vice chair of that. And Ballinger, Senator Ballinger, who may be listening today, Senator Ballinger had served as our original chair. He's now serving as director of law and policy. And I'm going to let him share some things that are coming up in his life, but he's got some interesting things about to happen. And he has been helping us as we craft legislation. And so where we're at today is that there is a home for that person that says, look, the Republicans and Democrats have messed things up enough, and we need some good, solid, red-blooded Americans that believe in God and the Bible just like our founding fathers did, and they want to save the nation. And so I find, and you have found this too, when the going gets really tough, you give me a solid conservative Christian lawmaker that's in position, they will stand there and they will do the right thing when a lot of them will fold with the winds of the poles. And, and guess why? Because it's who's standing next to them. That's exactly right. Exactly right. I know. I don't want to keep going on and on. We got some things you want to talk about, but but uh, I appreciate you mentioning that. I will tell you, and I don't mind saying. I'm just going to get this out because I'm getting a lot of calls. People want to know what are you going to run for? What are you going to do? Here's the thing: if God told me tomorrow to run for the U.S. Senate or for Congress or for anything, I'm going to do what He tells me to do. Right. And so I've told people I'm praying about it, but I will tell you right now, uh, Dave. For all of the work we've done in Arkansas, which has made us a better state over the last 12 years, America has not gone that way. We've Mm got to have new leadership in Washington, D.C. And here's the thing. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.